This talk was given at Insight Meditation South Bay. For more information and a schedule of our events, visit the Insight Meditation South Bay website at www.imsb.org. For information about online programs, visit the Bodhi Courses website at www.bodhicourses.org. Bodhi is spelled B-O-D-H-I. So this evening, I'll be sharing some teachings and a few direct invitations into practice, which, uh, which are informed by the Thai forest tradition, so Theravadan Buddhism out of Thailand. And even though I am a, a spirit rock teacher, I'm on the spirit rock teachers council and I did my early years of training in the 1990s and around the turn of the century uh, at spirit rock with spirit rock and visiting teachers. The main influence on my practice and my teaching actually comes out of Thailand. And so I trained for many years in the Thai force tradition as a woman lay practitioner, which especially at that time was very unusual. Uh, usually if somebody wanted to train in the Thai force tradition, they ordained. Um, I didn't have those conditions. I was actually raising a family and developing a career and very ardent about the Dharma, putting in months of silent retreat time every year, but it was an integrative life. So I actually trained as a lay practitioner and my primary root teacher for many years uh, is Ajahn Jimnian, uh, who's a Thai forest meditation master from southern China or from southern Thailand. So that part of the Thai forest tradition is strongly influenced by Mahayana Buddhism historically, has a little bit different tone than the northern Thai tradition, um, as represented, we could say, by Ajahn Chah and that lineage. Ajahn Jumnian was actually a heart uh, student of Ajahn Chah, and so they had a chance to meet and have a very powerful dharmic connection. Uh, and yet there were all these different you know, pieces and influences uh, on Ajahn Jumnian's practice coming from southern Thailand, the same way there are all these different pieces and influences on my own practice growing up as an American woman meditating in this country, right? So um, in addition to that, Ajahn Amaro and Ajahn Pasno, who are the former co-abbots of Abayagiri Monastery in Mendocino County, uh, I spent a lot of years, um, actually a very unusual situation. I spent a lot of years teaching with them. Uh, and the conditions of that was that I was actually used to be the teacher and director of the family and teen program at Spirit Rock for a decade. And so I would get together with Ajahn Amaro or Ajahn Pasano, and we'd gather a group of families or a group of youth and share meditation and Dhamma with them. So it allowed me to develop a relationship with Ajahn Amaro and Ajahn Pasano, which was quite unique uh, for a lay woman in this country at that time. And so they actually mentored me through my senior teacher training at Spirit Rock and IMS. And uh, all this happened and landed me in the teaching world where I discovered that even though I love insight meditation and I practice it and I teach it uh, quite ardently, the 
kind of foundation of my Dhamma heart actually comes out of my training in the Thai force tradition. So that's the perspective that I want to share uh, the reflections with you tonight. Um, and also acknowledge that the Thai force tradition, the last couple of generations of the Thai force tradition are very much direct experience-based, kind of entering into a mystical path of awakening. The last couple generations in that tradition have not been strongly scholarly based, not strongly focused on concepts. Um, one's not better than the other, uh, but just the last few generations of Thai forest Buddhism have been this more mystical route, uh, really uh, giving the all for the direct experience training for awakening. And of course, we can combine those two paths, and we do, our study and our scholarship and our deep practice. Uh, but again, this is kind of the lens through which I'm going to be sharing tonight. So the theme uh, for the evening is the relationship between emptiness and suchness. So I thought I would open with a short quote from Ajahn Amaro. It's actually from his book quite a number of years ago called Small Boat, Great Mountain. And this is a, a book about the interface between the Thai forest tradition and Vajrayana Buddhism. So many different connections. So he says, um, sunyata, it's the Pali, sunyata is emptiness. The term derives from saying no to the phenomenal world. No, I'm not going to believe in this. This is not entirely real. Tahata means suchness. It's a quality very similar to sunyata, but derives from saying yes to the universe. There is nothing, yet there is something. The quality of suchness is like the texture of ultimate reality. Sunyata and tahata, emptiness and suchness, the teachings talk in these ways. So there's something being pointed to here, you know, a turning away from the solidity and the separateness of beliefs in anything, and then the opening and including of everything as it is. And it's why, to me, um, these two qualities are so interdependent and so important in these times. What are we buying into? What are we allowing to be part of understanding and part of heartfulness according to causes and conditions as they are? So these teachings of emptiness and suchness often fall under a list in the Thai force tradition called the subtle characteristics, the three subtle characteristics. So they're completely related with the three characteristics, which, of course, are anicca, dukkha, anatta, um, impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, not self. Or if you prefer, uh, the way that I put it into normal language, everything changes. When we hold on, it hurts. It's not personal. So these three wisdom lenses that we're probably familiar with, 
um, also have connected with them three subtle characteristics. And the three subtle characteristics are sunyata, tahata, and uh, the third one, uh, the way that I first learned to say it in Pali is atamayata, although I've heard it said other ways in Pali as well. So we have the sunyata, the emptiness, the tahata, or the suchness, the thusness of things, and the atamayata, which is a quite uh, an advanced experience in practice and is often connected as an kind of what emerges in the wisdom understanding out of deep states of absorption and the full maturing of equanimity. What it's really pointing to is non-identification, not thatness. So sometimes it's translated as not made of that, not there with the object, atamayata. So that's a whole nother talk. We're not going to get to that this evening. But just in case um, the three subtle characteristics weren't as familiar to you, I, I did want to mention the whole list. So I want to talk a little bit about emptiness and then actually invite us into some practices from the Thai force tradition. Uh, and then the same with suchness. Um, now, because of time and because we're here on an evening and not in a retreat, this is really kind of introductory. Uh, and I really want to acknowledge that some of you are quite familiar with these topics and have been practicing and studying deeply with them for years. And so if that's the case for you, my hope is, is that this Thai force tradition flavor will just add more um, juice to your existing practice. And if you're newer to the topics, um, that they will be a very uh, simple introduction. But because I know we're a more experienced community, generally speaking, I'm not going to get into some of the over-defining emptiness or needing to uh, explain or even prove why emptiness is important. I'm kind of coming from a perspective that we can rest with a sense of possibility with these teachings and that I can kind of skip that part. Okay. So emptiness, sunyata. For, for me, with this term, the first question that arises is empty of what? And uh, one of the simple ways that I work with it, both intellectually and in direct experience, is empty of what? Empty of solid and separate. So it's just empty of something. Empty of solidity and separateness. Not as it appears. So that goes back to Ajahnamaro's quote. And emptiness is actually the subtle characteristic of anicca or impermanence. And so, as I was saying in the guided meditation, indirect experience, if there's a kind of, if we take the investigation and the penetration into impermanence to a certain point, what quite naturally starts to empty out without making a project out of it is the solidity and the separateness. It's really different than the efforting style of practice, which can also be quite useful at various times. It's really different than the high degrees of investigation. 
it shows how the process of emptiness being revealed is natural. So because I'm a meditation teacher and I always seem to have a bell around, I oftentimes will use the empty bell analogy. So this is just a small meditation bell and it is empty, right? So it's empty of anything solid or, or kind of separate, I suppose we could say in the inside of it, which of course allows us to use it, to be in relationship with it. And with all of these kind of more esoteric teachings or practices, one of my strong emphases is relational, that we actually come into relationship with these qualities and direct experience over time. Um, one of the ways that I'll talk about a teaching like emptiness or, or suchness is that we recognize it and then we familiarize with it, we're developing a relationship. And then the understanding that wisdom lens stabilizes and becomes the view through which we experience reality more and more often in more and more complexity and, and busyness and difficulty, right? Recognize, familiarize, stabilize. So this bell is empty, but it is pregnant with possibility. So certainly... It is pregnant with the possibility to ring beautifully. But it is also pregnant with the possibility to become a hat. And, you know, if I had the right props with me, it could also be pregnant with the possibility to become a flower pot. Absolutely. There's plenty of space here to grow flowers. So... That's really pointing to the softening of solidity about how we believe things exist or how they should exist. I'll share a quote from Ajahn Amaro that points to the same thing. It's this relationship between emptiness and form. Without the glass, there would not be any emptiness. Without the other musical notes, those moments would not be silent. That is to say, emptiness only exists in relationship to its vessel, whether that vessel may be a personality, a glass, a room, a musical phrase. It's just a way of speaking about form and space using relative language. So the emptiness says it's not the way it appears, and the suchness says, and yet, there is something, there's a texture to experience that can be known and related with. So we know from the Pali canon that emptiness usually is pointing to, to mean empty of self and what belongs to a self. But the Thai force tradition also often acknowledges that emptiness, in addition, refers to the insubstantiality of objects. Again, that Mahayana influence. Mm -hmm. So what we start to be able to see is that the lens of me and mine are not fundamentally valid ways for perceiving or being in the world. They're useful, 
but they're not fundamentally valid, right? So we can still be in relationship with the verb of me and mine, the process, the experience of me and mine, without having that solidity of a fundamental reality. Which then, of course, allows us to experience the lens of the three, um, the three characteristics and the three subtle characteristics for perceiving and interacting in the world. And that's how our view gets wiser. It's why in so many teachings, we're always repointing back to the three characteristics. And in this case, also the three subtle characteristics. So that's enough of an introduction. Uh, Let's take a, take a little bit to see what taste of emptiness is available this evening. Now, I always think of these, these teachings and practices as running on a continuum. Now, sometimes it's just a small taste. Sometimes it's profound. They're all relevant. They're all developing the path of awakening. So a couple of really simple invitations in. Um, that you can play with right now in direct experience. Um, these are from Ajahn Jumnian. So one of the ways that um, Lumpur Jumnian, honorific for him, would train us in meditation to see emptiness and also to recognize the essence of mind uh, was to see the empty space between the eye and the floor. That's often how he would start us out. He'd say, yeah, you know, relax your whole face, relax the eyes, just let your uh, gaze fall. And, and I understand, you know, let, let your gaze fall in a place where it's just easy to land the gaze on the floor, not too many physical objects in the way. Oh, and just seeing and recognizing the emptiness of the space between the eye and the floor. These two supposedly appearing solid separate objects of eye and floor, and yet emptiness of space and sometimes a recognition of emptiness. So that was the way Ajahn Jimnian would begin meditation instruction. That was like first. Hmm. Uh, another way he would invite us into the experience of emptiness through the vehicle of the body, the first foundation of mindfulness, is the emptiness of the spacious element within the body. Now, of course, you know, when the Buddha defined the body, he defined it as the four great elements, earth, air, fire, and water. Uh, and what Ajahn Jimnian would do is say, yes, and there's a lot of space in the body, this space element that connects us to spaciousness that can connect to emptiness. So feeling into the space within the body. Whether it's a space that opens up on the inhale, the space in the abdominal cavity, anywhere you experience space in this body. 
and the spaciousness that sometimes is experienced in the environment of mind when we recognize space, in this case in the body. So space, spaciousness, emptiness, One of the ones that I've long loved from a retreat that I sat with Ajahn Sumedho uh, many years ago. Ajahn Sumedho was the Western monastic whom Ajahn Chah passed the Dharma, Dharma mantle to the West. And he would be guiding the meditation. He would just say, look for the spaces between the thoughts, between the arisings and passings. And then he gave this really specific instruction around kind of the dissolving of the self into emptiness. And you just say, you know, if we say to ourselves, I am, he would say, I am Ajahn Sumedho. Now that's a very solid statement. He said, what if you spaced it out, broke it down? And so he would just sit there and smile and you say out loud, I am Ajahn Sumedho. And we'd all smile because it was very endearing. And you say, well, try it. Try it. Try it with your own name and really rest in those spaces. Rest in the awareness, you know, that which knows in the spaces. So you can try it if you want. And it does help to say it out loud. those spaces there's a lot of emptiness and a lot of space to be able to see clearly and to make different choices outside of reactivity you know I've been known to use a practice like that in maybe internally not out loud perhaps but 
situations where the sense of self is really starting to fill up with contraction and belief or maybe even judgment. Yeah. And just the sense of like having some simple practice we can say to ourselves in an ordinary moment that just starts to open it up. You know, and so instead of saying, I am Heather, I might say, I am full of frustration. And it just, again, it just starts to emptying out even in the recognition. Now, so these energies of filling up and emptying out, I found really helpful in practicing with emptiness in daily life. Where am I filling up? What's filling up with solidness and separateness? How do we support the beginning of emptying out and noticing the emptying out when it happens naturally? Then I remember one time with Ajahn Jimnian, um, there was a very senior Western bhikkhuni there uh, sitting with him receiving teachings. And she asked a wonderful question. I was so glad she asked it. And even though I don't remember the exact question, what I remember is the theme of it was she was asking about when there's a sense of subtle me in emptiness, a subtle sense of self. So she was talking about accessing the experience of emptiness and yet there's still that little you know contraction that little sense of me of solid separate right which is not uncommon in the ongoing investigation of emptiness she so said when there's a subtle me and emptiness how should i practice and uh, the reply from ajahn jimnian was separate and investigate the five aggregates Investigate which of the five aggregates is the me, is not empty. So the five aggregates, of course, being form, feeling, perception, mental formations, and consciousness. And so we can take that investigation and just see in one of those areas, is there an extra contraction, an extra sense of belief, an extra charge or reactivity that might be quite subtle? And then we can investigate that using the three characteristics, impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, not self, or the three subtle characteristics, uh, you know, emptiness, suchness, and atamayata, the non-dual. And basically what that does is it allows the penetration through the conditioning so that the wisdom can be seen clearly. And then our lenses are cleared out of all that reactivity and we do see clearly. We have wisdom lenses on instead of reactive lenses on. You know, it's like wearing colored glasses. Ajahn Jimnian used to uh, use this analogy. You're wearing colored glasses when the calaces are in charge, you know, when your rea reactivity is in charge. And we got to clear it out uh, using emptiness and uh, the essence of mind, pure awareness. So that's uh, for those of you that are more into the investigation side of the practice. Um, and we can take a moment to just see, oh, are there any of the five aggregates in direct experience which just feel a little more solid and separate right now? Maybe the feeling tone's way out in the foreground. It's pleasant, it's unpleasant. No, maybe it's the body due to a, a pain or a pleasure. Maybe the stories are really believable right now. I'm just checking it out. <laughs> 
and seeing how these things change. When we hold on, it hurts, not personal. The last invitation into emptiness, you won't have a chance to practice with until later, but I wanted to bring it in simply because it's fun and it involves a different posture from sitting meditation. And uh, I'm quite passionate uh, about the teachings that support us to wake up in all four postures, sitting, standing, walking, and lying down. So this is a walking meditation instruction from Ajahn Jimnian an empty skeleton walking meditation. And it really is meant to be playful. So it's like sometimes actually laughter and play and lightness opens us up to ultimate reality in a way that when we're really serious and pressured, it's too heavy and contracted. There's different ways in at different times. So this is the playful style, okay? And Ajahn Jimni was a very playful teacher. So he would say for emptiness, skeleton, walking meditation, take your skeleton for a walk. Experience it as empty. When you see other bodies, people, animals, see them as empty too. That's it. So it's like you can absolutely experience the, you know, label skeleton in direct experience as empty right now even in the posture that you're in. But just this possibility, whether it's on the walking path or just taking a walk or walking across a parking lot and this sense of like, ah, taking the skeleton for a walk, experiencing its non-solidity, non-separateness, its emptiness, seeing others that way too. It's play. And so people would go out and do their walking meditation and then they'd come back and they'd say, Lumpur, Lumpur, I saw an empty bird. He'd go, great. You know, that play that actually allowed people's hearts and minds to open to the essence of things. It was just delightful. So then we have suchness, the other side of the coin. This emptiness, I'm not going to believe this is real or, or no. it's not as it appears. Suchness, and yet there is something, and I can relate with it <laughs> and use it. So, Tahata. This is from Ajahn Buddha Dasa, who's one of the late, great Southern Thai forest masters. Uh, Tahata, suchness, thusness. Just like thatness, neither this nor that, the reality of non-duality. Things are just as they are, regardless of our perceptions, likes and dislikes, suppositions and beliefs, hopes and memories. That line's been such a muse for me for practice. Things are just as they are. Um, And the parentheses after it is actually void or empty. (laughs) 
regardless of our perceptions, likes and dislikes, suppositions and beliefs, hopes and memories. Each one of those areas have incredible investigations um, connected with them. It's very rich. So the teaching of suchness, or if you prefer thusness, I tend to translate it as suchness, is connected with both conditionality and compassion. Just think it's such an important teaching for the times that we're in. Uh, I recently taught a day long on suchness. I'd actually never taught a day long on suchness. Uh, these emptiness and suchness teachings, I usually only um, teach in long-term trainings with people. So like I have a two-year training in which we do six months on suchness and, and emptiness. And I kind of like to go in depth. But I thought, oh, in, in these times, in these transitional times, I really want to share a day on suchness. So the day long was called Understanding Conditions Responding with Compassion, Suchness. So the relationship with conditionality, um, it's like things are not entirely real. I'm not going to believe in this as it appears. And yet there are still causes and conditions that have to be respected and understood. So things are empty and dependently originated. Very important Mahayana teaching. That it's both. We don't reject anything by experiencing emptiness. So causes and conditions uh, really falls under the conventional truth, uh, personal truth. And we need to include it as we're deepening in our practice because otherwise we're moving into spiritual bypassing where we're ignoring really important parts of ourself, our relational world and of society in order to have and maintain some higher experience of emptiness. And we've seen the kind of abuses that can come out of that, the kind of harm, you know? So suchness is such an important normalizing, contextualizing and actually maturing teaching and practice on the emptiness journey. So there's that famous teaching of the Buddha in the Anguttara Nikaya on conditionality. When this is, that is. From the arising of this comes the arising of that. When this isn't, that isn't. From the stopping of this comes the stopping of that. So sometimes I like to use that teaching and I'll plug in objects for this and that so that I understand the conditionality teaching better. It's like when this, and I think of something, when this is, it leads to this result, that result, you know, and I'll really reflect on it and plug in things so that it's not just a cool intellectual teaching, but actually an invitation into practice. When this is, that is. From the arising of this comes the arising of that. When this isn't, that isn't. From the stopping of this comes the stopping of that. Particularly like to plug in reactive patterns into that sutta quote. Reactive patterns and their results and the stopping of them and the results. Very inspiring. And uh, honest. 
So the subtle characteristic of suchness or tahata is the subtle characteristic of dukkha, of unsatisfactoriness. And because it's the subtle characteristic of dukkha, it's very, very connected with compassion as well as wisdom. And so what I love to bring in here as a metaphor is um, a classic metaphor of the bird with two wings, right? So we've got the bird with two wings and one wing is wisdom and one wing is compassion. And we need these two in balance, of course, to fly. But I really appreciate the teaching that came out of Vietnam. I believe the way that I heard it was at the time of the Vietnam War um, from some of the Buddhists uh, practicing and, and, you know, doing work in the culture, doing service in the culture at that very, very difficult time. And the way that I was told it is that then this teaching expanded. So what about the body of the bird? It's like we've got the wisdom wing, the compassion wing. What about the body of the bird? And the body of the bird became courage. You know, it's like this courage of the heart. It takes a lot of courage as I think we know, to deeply, honestly, rigorously walk this path in the face of conditions as they are. The same body, the same family of origin, the same culture, same job or lack of job. It takes courage. So there's a kind of a big relationship with compassion there. And I also often uh, tie in the, the teaching and practices of suchness with the teaching of the Buddha, the two arrows. So I'm sort of giving you broad brush strokes on suchness right now. Um, and the, the Buddha's famous teaching on the two arrows, you know, that, that of course, life on life's terms is like being shot by a first arrow, uh, birth, aging, uh, if we're lucky, death, etc. Getting what we don't want, not getting what we do want, etc. The five aggregates affected by clinging. That's the first arrow. And then the second arrow is our reactivity in the face of the first arrow. So when we look at this teaching, emptiness sees that it's just causes and conditions. So there's no need to shoot a second arrow of reactivity or extra suffering because it sees this happened because of causes and conditions. I don't need to make a thing. I don't need to take this further up the ladder of reactivity. Compassion connected with suchness sees, oh, I got shot by an arrow. I care. And it stops the process right there. So there's no need to shoot the second arrow because the compassion permeates where the reactivity would have grown out of. It just sees, oh, I was shot by an arrow. I care. So lastly, I want to share with you my favorite teaching uh, and and simple, simple practice for all conditions, meditation and daily life on suchness. And it comes from Ajahn Sumedho. If you listen to talks by Ajahn Sumedho, I'm not sure he ever gets through a Dharma talk without sharing this expression. Um, 
And he often, his talks are often a stream of consciousness about direct experience as it's moving through him. And so he'll be talking quite intimately about direct experience from a wisdom perspective. And so often he'll recognize something and he'll go, oh, and then I'm feeling confusion. It's like this. Say, and then it was frustrating. It's like this. And then there was illumination. It's like this. And he always puts his hands out. You know, he always opens his hands, palms up, just this open, allowing, compassionate, understanding gesture that literally excludes nothing. There isn't anything in our direct experience that can't be included in, oh, it's like this. To me, it's like the simple, ultimate expression of suchness. And I use it every day of my life in meditation and when things are happening. It just allows that wisdom perspective to shine forth. It allows a mindfulness pause for a wiser choice, you know, at that level. Very helpful. And the only thing I would caution you against is if you overuse it, you might drive yourself a little bit crazy. So, um, you know, it depends. For some people, practice like this just really takes off. And for some people, um, using it in a modulated way is better. But I absolutely love it. And so I wanted to share it with you as a simple suchness practice. Closing quote by Ajahn Jimyan. Abide in emptiness awareness. Don't get attached to any state that comes. When desire, aversion come, stay in emptiness awareness, unentangled. And little by little, wisdom deepens as these energies lose their power. Emptiness awareness becomes happier and happier as it is purified. Experience loses its meaning in this awareness. Not hot or cold, sweet or sour. Just awareness, just experience, not me. So that's what I have to offer for reflection on this topic this evening. Thank you for your practice and your kind attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.